Beginning today, Grant and I will tell you which Sooners we believe will benefit the most from the defensive coaching staff changes. We'll go position group by position group, starting with the defensive line on this episode. Then we'll hit the linebackers next week and then the secondary the following week. In the end, we'll consolidate everything into the top five or maybe top ten players we think will benefit the most from the changes on defense. I think it'll be fun. Although we're going to do the defensive line today, I'd like to focus in for a moment on new cornerbacks coach Roy Manning. Taking a look at his background, one may wonder why this is the guy Alex Grinch wanted to coach corners at OU. Manning is entering his 10th season as a coach. Prior to getting into coaching, he played three seasons in the NFL, getting limited playing time. Here's the thing. Manning was a linebacker, not a secondary player. In his nine years of coaching, he's been a linebacker's coach, a running back's coach, and for one season in 2014, a cornerback's coach. Manning's specialty must be linebackers because that's the position group he coached from 2015 to 2017 under Alex Grinch at Washington State. Even last year at UCLA, Manning coached linebackers. I mean, it makes sense. Manning did play linebacker after all. So why is he the guy Grinch wants for the cornerbacks at Oklahoma? Well, the easy answer is Grinch is familiar with Manning. Grinch called Manning an elite coach earlier this month. And also, Manning's probably a pretty darn good coach that just knows football. I actually like the fact that Roy Manning has not only coached linebackers and corners, but that he's also randomly coached running backs. Now I get it. A lot of assistant coaches get different position groups in their careers. So perhaps Manning isn't too terribly different than a lot of other football coaches. But I do like his defensive background as a player. And as a coach, I like that he's worked under a defensive-minded head coach for a couple of years at Michigan. Yeah, it was Brady Hoke. Say what you want about Hoke as a head coach. But that Michigan team in 2014, when Manning coached the corners, that Michigan team had a top-10 defense. And I like that Manning also coached under an offensive head coach and Mike Leach at Washington State. Variety is important, and maybe that counts for something. Let's dive a little deeper into that 2014 Michigan team, that team in which Manning coached the Wolverines cornerbacks. Michigan's numbers against the pass that season provide some positives and some negatives, although one big negative may be irrelevant, which I'll explain here in a moment. The positives. Michigan allowed less than 200 yards passing per game, 19th in the nation. Based on that stat, you may assume the Wolverines didn't allow many big pass plays, which would be correct. Michigan gave up only 88 pass plays of 10 yards or more that year. To put that into perspective, Oklahoma allowed 168 pass plays of 10-plus yards in 2018, nearly double the amount Michigan allowed in 2014. Going back to that first stat I mentioned, 200 yards fewer than that per uh, passing per game. Just imagine that kind of number in the Big 12. It, it, it's probably unheard of. It's probably impossible at this stage in the game. Now to the negatives, though. Michigan's opposing passer rating for quarterbacks was just fine. 127.2, good enough for 64th in the nation. In other words, even though the Wolverines allowed fewer than 200 yards passing per game, they didn't necessarily shut quarterbacks down. Notre Dame's Everett Golson, remember him? That guy completed 67% of his passes and threw three touchdowns against that Michigan pass defense. And Golson, he was, he was just an all-right player. Finally, a massive negative. 
Michigan's 2014 secondary struggled to force turnovers. Just five interceptions all year, nearly dead last in the nation. However, this stat probably doesn't matter a whole lot because Alex Grinch's philosophy. Grinch stresses the importance of turnovers. In Grinch's three seasons at Wazoo, the Cougars managed 13, 12, and 15 interceptions. Nice. I'm super interested to see what Manning and Grinch's tutelage does for the Oklahoma secondary. I like that the Sooners will have one coach specifically for corners, and then Alex Grinch will focus on the safeties along with other D.C. duties he'll have. There's just no way Oklahoma's defensive backs are as bad as they've looked for the past two to three years. But if they are, I think we'll find out for sure in 2019. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Second and 10 at the 29. Mayfield sets up deep in the pocket, fires the deep ball for Westbrook. D.D. Westbrook welcomes us into the latest edition of West of Everest. Westbrook's 71-yard touchdown catch back in 2016 against Texas was one of three touchdowns on the afternoon for D.D. Westbrook finished the Red River shootout with crazy numbers, 10 grabs, 232 yards, and those three touchdowns. OU beat Texas 45-40 that day in October. Hey, everyone. Once again, I am Lee Benson. Grant will join me here in a moment. Before he does, though, here's a quick overview of the show coming up for you today. Oklahoma has got the best transfer quarterback on the market this offseason, at least according to one college football writer. We'll discuss some of the top transfer quarterbacks in the nation and how much we think that will help or hurt their new teams. We've now got Austin Kendall's side of the story in regards to his transfer situation. Kendall's dad talked to Metro News in West Virginia. Do we feel differently about how that whole situation went down now? We'll talk about that. Plus, We'll go over any other news and notes of the past week before getting into the segment I spoke about during the opening take. Which OU players are we most looking forward to seeing develop with the defensive coaching changes? Today, we're going to talk defensive line. Then, after all of that, we'll see if any of us have thoughts on the Super Bowl. I mean, it is this Sunday, after all. Uh, that'll be the end of the show, though, so if you don't want to hear any about anything about that, not to worry. We'll have that at the very end, and you can... Uh, click out of that after we're done talking all about Oklahoma football. So with all that, let me bring in Grant for the first time. How's it going, Grant? Oh, it's going. It's like minus 60 right now in the Twin Cities where I am. So with the wind, but Ooh. you know, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. What do you mean? It's good. It's cold. I mean, it's, I mean, that's real Minnesota winter. I mean, even especially in the Twin Cities, because normally you don't get that in the Twin Cities, you get that up north in northern Minnesota sometimes, but not in the metro area. That's whew. at least it's a All dry right. cold, though. A dry, it's a dry cold. Uh, but seriously, it's like it's it's legitimately one of those colds where if you're outside for ten minutes, you're like you die. It's that bad. It's crazy. Yeah, your body definitely adjusts, though. I mean, if I went back there, back there right now, because I mean, I lived there for forever and. It, I'd be I'd be frozen to death. It just it'd be horrible. I've gotten into a wimp. Uh, you know, I, I can't handle the cold anymore, but that's just the way it is. Um, I don't mind the heat as much anymore, but uh, hopefully you don't freeze to death up there. Uh, and hopefully you can make through our uh, 100th episode, episode 100. We've uh, that's that's kind of a nice round number. That means something. 
What do you think? I don't know. It's pretty crazy that for whatever reason we're we feel like we've had enough feedback and and all that to to continue doing doing this show to get to a hundred. That's pretty crazy, that is, right? Yeah, that's incredible. Here's to a hundred more and beyond. We'll see. Uh, all right, so not a whole lot happened in the last week in regards to Oklahoma football. I know there's some recruiting news here and there. I think what Kendarius Taylor I think recommitted the wide receiver. Uh, you know, but this isn't a recruiting podcast. Uh, signing day is coming up next week. You know, perhaps we'll have to hold off the pod next week till after Wednesday to talk more about that. You know, that's kind of like the one, the one podcast we'll discuss some recruiting a little bit, just because it's February and there's nothing else going on. Uh, you know, so I was trying to find other things to talk about before we get to our our main segment, which is going to be the defensive line talk. And I learned something, or I've, I've heard rumors about something, I guess, before I started this podcast now during our opening take. By the way, on the, the opening take, we did the Facebook Live version, and so somebody broke, me, broke some, some news to me, some message board news that are rumors. And so we'll talk more about that when we get to the defensive line talk. I didn't know that, so we'll, uh, you know, we'll see where that goes. But uh, here's where we're going to start today. ESPN's Mark Schlebaugh put out his college football quarterback transfer rankings that's a thing that exists now. I guess the transfer portal will make that a thing. And number one, he's got Jalen Hurts to Oklahoma. I'm not going to read his reasoning for putting Hurts at number one because it's essentially a shortened version of what we all already know about Jalen Hurts and coming to OU. So I'm not surprised that Hurts is the top transfer quarterback. And basically it's because he's got talent and mostly he's transferring to Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley. That's that's basically it. I mean, Riley's great at getting a lot out of talented quarterbacks. Now, for the rest of his rankings, I think there's some debatable stuff here. I think there's one player on the rankings that's way too high on this list. So, Grant, I'm going to throw it to you first. What are your thoughts on the rankings? And do you also believe there are some quarterbacks ranked poorly? And before you answer, I just realized, should we... Should we like unveil the rankings in some dramatic fashion or are people like, what are these rankings you speak of? Should we go over them first or should we just should you throw me out a name or names that you think are, are overrated or are right on the money? What do you think we should do? here? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I I'm assuming we're thinking of the same person who is fairly highly rated on this thing. But at the same time, I'm I, I can sort of understand the reasoning for why he's here, even though I, I disagree with sort of the underlying uh, implication of the thing. So we'll we'll just say it right now. I mean, number two on this list is Kelly Bryant going to Mizzou. And um, I'll flat out say it. Kelly Bryant's not a very good player. He's just not he's just not very good. So, um, you know, I, I can understand why he's on there just because, you know, he he did start a, a full season in college football. He went 12-2, and two, took his team to the college football playoff. Um, Clemson made it to the college football playoff that season in spite of Kelly Bryant. He is he is just not a very he's just not a very good college football player to be honest with you. Um very very limited as a downfield passer. He's a guy who couldn't even in in Clemson's quarterback friendly system couldn't even take advantage of all of the the talent they have at wide receiver. Um he is just he he is a very negative thrower of the football. Uh he's just he's just not good at it. He is a clear step back uh in that offense from what Drew Locke provided for them and I'm I'm no huge fan of Drew Locke. So um I, I think I think Missouri. It's not like you know. There's inherent value in getting a guy who has started 14 games in college against some pretty good teams. So I can understand why he's number two on the list. Um, I can basically what I'm saying is bet the farm 
when when you re-rank this list at the end of the season, Kelly Bryant will not be number two on this list. Bet Just bet your mortgage on that. Well stated. And yes, that's the name that I was talking about as well. Way too high at number two. And if you look at Schlebaugh's reasoning, here's a second sentence. He talks about how obviously Trevor Lawrence took his job. Not surprising, Trevor Lawrence is a very good player, even for a true freshman. But the second sentence in Schlebaugh's reasoning is, and he mentions Jalen Hurts in this too, because it, it is fair to bring up Hurts in this kind of uh, this kind of mentality. But he says, like Hurts, Bryant has a proven track record as a winner, guiding the Tigers to a 12-2 and record and a college football playoff spot in his first season as a starter in 2017. All right, so I always kind of pause and take a step back when I I hear the the reasoning behind uh, or I, I hear the reason of he's a proven winner. Uh, I'd said this on thing on the last podcast. The fact that Jalen Hurts was what twenty six and two at Alabama means absolutely nothing to me. A lot of quarterbacks in college football would go twenty six and two at Alabama. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks in college football would have gone twelve and two and led Clemson to a college football playoff appearance, like Kelly Bryant did. Uh, that doesn't mean anything to me. Uh, I'd be, what what means to me though. More is what you can do as a football player, as a quarterback. And I think Jalen Hurts has has a lot more talent and more upside than a Kelly Bryant. Uh, here's the thing about Bryant. You talked about it a little bit. He's a limited passer. Uh, he, he's going to a team in Missouri with substantially less talent than the team he just played for in Clemson, substantially. And I know that Trevor Lawrence replaced him, and Lawrence looks to be a transcendent talent at quarterback. Uh, but... Like you said, I agree. Bryant just isn't particularly a special player. Um, his 2017 season was spotty. I defended him a bit during that 2017 season. Those who are original listeners of the podcast know that. I defended Kelly Bryant quite a bit, and you made fun of me for it a lot. And, you know, I was proven wrong in the end. In the college football playoff game against Alabama, he was dreadful. He was absolutely dreadful in that game, and he gave the Tigers no chance to win in that semifinal. He was a dink and dunk type passer in 2017 only had 13 touchdown passes eight interceptions just compare that to trevor lawrence in 2018 he had 30 touchdowns just four picks and lawrence didn't become the full-time starter until early october the the only positive thing i'll say about bryant to his credit and i talked about this way back in september when it happened i thought his best game of his career came when clemson beat out a&m just barely in college station in 2018 Bryant made some big time throws and been some big time plays in that game and, and he made a lot of plays with his legs um, it was so early in the year that I'm not sure if Clemson would have won that game if it wasn't for Kelly Bryant because Trevor Lawrence in that matchup still looked pretty raw when he came in and played because he did take some snaps in that game and he looked like he was yeah I mean he didn't seem like he definitely wasn't the same player was at the end of the year is it fair game Lee to bring up the fact that I think Texas A&M was the only Power Five team that had a that gave up more passing yards per game than Oklahoma did. Oh, was it? I know their pass defense is really bad. What man? I didn't know it was that bad. Hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, that was on the road though. It was on the road in a you know a setting where Jimbo Fisher was trying to make a name for himself. His first big game coaching for the for the Aggies. So I mean. Yeah, that's fair, but I mean, I th I still think you got to give credit to Bryant for that game. He was he was good in that game. Yeah, no, I mean it was a it was an impress. I mean, yeah, going in going into College Station in an atmosphere like that, 
against a, a Texas A&M team that played well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give Kelly Bryant all the credit in the world for playing well in that situation. Um, and you're right. I, I am not convinced that if Trevor Lawrence was the guy in the second half of that game, that that Clemson would have won. This this is the value in Kelly Bryant right here. I'm just not sure that it matters playing for Mizzou. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. And and I'm with you. I'm not a big Drew Locke guy either. I think he's a. Uh... He's very similar to Jay Cutler, and I heard uh, Colin Cowherd earlier today talk about Locke, and he made another decent comparison, although I'm not sure I agree with what he used as a, as a way to compare Locke, but he mentioned uh, Jake Locker as well. And here's the thing, though, about, about Jake Locker, Drew Locke, and Jay Cutler. Of all three of those guys, Drew Locke is a statue. The other two guys actually have some athleticism and can move. I mean, Jake Locker could move around. He could run. Uh, but all three of them also are not particularly good throwers of the football. Had completion percentages below 60% in college. Not impressive. Uh, although I, I will say in, in Drew Locke's defense, he did throw a heck of a lot more touchdown passes, I think, than both of those guys. Definitely more than Cutler. Uh, probably a lot more than, than Locker's as well at Washington. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand Drew Locke at all. I don't know how you, how you look at him and don't just see the spitting image of Blaine Gabbert. They're the exact same player. Didn't Gabbert complete a lot more passes at Missouri, though? I thought he was a pretty high-completion percentage guy at Missouri. I like yeah, Gabbert in college. and I was, That was a I decade mean, ago. Yeah. I, don't, I don't really yeah. remember, to be honest with you. He was just, he, he was just, a, he was just a, a, an above-average, really solid player in college. Gabbert was. Here's the thing that, that's important, though, when you think back to Gabbert, whatever his completion percentage was, Cutler and, and Locker. College football, it's a, lot, it's a lot easier now. It's more easier... It's more easy than ever to complete passes. And yet Jake Locker, Jake Locker, Drew Locke still completed like 56% of his passes in college. I think his best year was this past year as a senior. He completed like 61 or 62%. I mean, that he just that's he, just not going to that's not going to cut it. No, in the NFL. I mean, look it, at. Uh, yeah, I mean, just an easy one. Uh, look at Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen couldn't complete passes consistently at Wyoming and he was dreadful completing passes in his rookie year with the bills i mean i think he completed something like 50 percent of his passes this year maybe even like 40 something it was bad i mean he was really good with his legs though actually yeah he was like a running back back there he was incredibly athletic incredibly athletic and huge i mean he's a huge dude so i mean josh allen's an, is an intriguing player and then you look at uh, sam darnold sam darnold had a really good completion percentage for those two years at usc he completed something like 56 percent of his passes i think as a rookie this year or 55, I mean, it was it was so, I mean, it gets a lot more difficult in the NFL to complete passes. I just don't, I mean, what a shocker, Grant. John Elway, the guy that cannot seem to figure out how to evaluate quarterbacks, is apparently smitten with Drew Locke. Put that I, I directly mean, into my veins. That's hilarious. You so, can, like, of, of all of the, of, of all of just, like, the sure things in life, NFL like GMs and talent evaluators being stupid is just one of the, especially when it comes to quarterbacks, just what a sure thing in life. It's I know the conspiracy theory for Broncos fans, and this is ridiculous, but based on what we know so far about Elway since Peyton Manning, it, it, there might be some validity to it. Broncos fans have a conspiracy theory that John Elway is on purpose making sure that they don't have a, have a good quarterback ever because he doesn't want to lose you know, the, the, he, he, he wants to be like the Broncos guy, like forever. <laughs> like, oh, nobody's ever going to be as good as I was. <laughs> it, it looks like, I mean. Wait, like, is that actually, that's an opinion that people hold? It's like, it's like, a, it's a, it's a jokey conspiracy theory. 
You sure it's from, a joke? I mean, I, I don't. I mean, I'm sure crazy. I mean, obvi- like obviously, John Elway would not try to be sab. He would not be sabotaging the Broncos, but sabotaging the Broncos. That's ridiculous. He wants yeah, that to doesn't win. really make any sense. His legacy would only build if he built like amazing teams. And yeah. People like the Broncos fans would just love him more. Silly, that's silly conspiracy theory. So yeah. Anyway, so we'll see. I, I I'm not particularly. Basically, my take, my short take, and in late January, Grant, and my take might be very similar to yours. If you can't get Kyler Murray or Dwayne Haskins in this draft, you just tank for Tua, or you tank for Trevor. Exactly. That, that I mean, if if you don't have your guy and you're not and like you said if you're not going to get Murray or Haskins build your roster in preparation for the time when you get your guy cuz it you got to get these those type of quarterbacks you can't get a guy like Drew Locke he's not going to do anything for you he's not going to win any championships a guy Daniel Jones from Duke he's not he's not going to do anything for you i'm sorry he's just not i mean you look look at the tape i i, I just think it's Quarterback is one of the easier positions these days because there's so much tape on guys to evaluate. It Baker Mayfield was clearly the best quarterback in that draft last year. He's one of the best quarterbacks coming out in years since Andrew Luck probably. And Mayfield blew Andrew Luck's rookie season out of the water. Out of the water. And so, for that matter, Lee, I, this is another one I want to go back to because I just when was the last time we saw a diamond in the rough guy work out a uh, guy who just kind of came out of nowhere I guess you could you could you could you could mention Trubisky I suppose um I mm. guess but no but but I want to go was back a top pick though I mean he was a number two pick I mean a diamond and the rough guy would be somebody I, I in my opinion some way you get after the first round oh well sure but I'm more talking about like a guy like Daniel Jones who nobody has ever heard of even throughout the college football season and then he just kind of comes out of nowhere and I've already read mock drafts having him as a top 10 pick which is I mean, I have. I, I mean, I don't know how everything's going to play out. I'm not going to put. I'm, I'm not going to put it past any NFL team to pick Daniel Jones in the top ten. I mean, it mm-hmm. would be incredibly stupid, but it wouldn't be the dumbest thing we've ever seen. Um, but yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point. It's like I, and maybe we're just kind of living in the moment. We're in our own little bubble. But I guess yeah, to me, it's just I, I have eyes, and it's easy. I just and and, th- and this this extends to a couple years ago too. I. I just never understood why Pat Mahomes was not getting a ton of NFL love. Um, and then, of course, kind of near the end of the process, and he ends up going to the Chiefs mm-hmm. uh, near the top 10. But just, uh, just watch the games. It, it's, it's, not, it's not hard at all. Dwayne Haskins, is a, he has a howitzer for a right arm, is fairly accurate, and he had a lot of success completing forward passes in college this year, um, sometimes against some really good teams. And then just watch Kyler Murray was the best player in college football this year. NFL throws all over the field. It's just I, I, I really do feel like a lot of NFL talent evaluators make this a lot harder than it really is. And I know you have to do your due diligence <laughs> with these guys. Or they are. Yeah. But just, just look at the tape. And speaking of Kyler Murray, I was going to talk about this later, but I am doing something right now. I'm preparing something about Kyler Murray that I will be releasing on the West of Evers Facebook page and my Twitter page in the future. And it's, it was, it's been fun. I've been, I've been doing some research. I've been looking back at, at the games from 2018. So I'm just, just a tease, tease ahead, follow, you know, like the West of Evers Facebook page, follow Grant and I on Twitter. 
Uh, it, I'm going to be releasing some videos in the coming weeks, and Kyler Murray is is the subject, and that's all I'll say right now. But uh, I've I've had some fun going back and looking at that. Uh, so, anyways, we've kind of gone off in more of a tangent. I see. I th- maybe some of you don't find this interesting. I I love talking about quarterbacks in college and the NFL. It's it's great. Just real quick, I guess we'll get through the rest of these rankings real fast. Uh, let's just go over the top five, maybe six. Grant number three on this list from Schleybaugh is Jacob Eason from Georgia to Washington. We that's heard the one Eason I think in, should be in two years. Uh, yeah, that's sorry, the one I ahead. think should be should be number two on the list. I I don't even. Tell, tell me about Eason. Is he a good player? I haven't seen him pl- take one snap. I don't know if he's uh, good. I don't know. Well, he was the number one quarterback in the country um, in high school coming out uh, a few years ago. He was a, he started every single game as a true freshman for Georgia a couple years ago and had some moments of brilliance. Um, looked really good. Kind of, he sort of reminds me of, a, and I know there's the Georgia connection here, but he sort of reminds me of a Matt Stafford. Um, which you know you can talk about him all you want, and and of the type of player he is in the NFL, uh, he was an outstanding college player. So um, I think that's basically what Washington is getting. They're getting a, a Matt Stafford like uh, player there, and you know, he was he was a top five player in the country coming out of high school, the number one pro style quarterback. Um, as far as I'm concerned, Lee Washington is upgrading this season at the quarterback position, which does not happen very often when you're replacing a four year starter. Okay. I'm looking at Schleybaugh's write-up. He's a yeah, you said he was the number one quarterback. He was a five-star recruit. I know he got injured, and then Jake Fromm took a spot. I mean, Jake Fromm's really good, and uh, before he played like garbage against Texas in that that Sugar Bowl, uh, but after playing very good against Alabama in the SEC championship game. So yeah, he's in six-six guy, big dude, big arm apparently. So yeah, I mean maybe they yeah, like you said, it would seem on paper maybe they are upgrading over Jake Browning because Jake Browning wasn't a five-star recruit, so. Um, yeah, we'll see how Washington utilizes him. Number four on the list is Justin Fields from Georgia to Ohio State. And to me, I thought this would have been one of the – maybe number two. And I guess, I mean, your reasoning for Eason's good too. But, again, another number one overall recruit, quarterback. And going to Ohio State, I know Urban Meyer, I guess, is gone now. But, I mean, they've been able to turn these quarterbacks into solid players. And somebody with the talent of Fields, you would anticipate him to – to be even better and you're going from uh, you know learning at Georgia who knows what he learned and you know now going to Ohio State in the Big Ten so I mean that's interesting people will watch out for that and then obviously speaking of Ohio State you got Tate Martell who is transferring to Miami and that guy's number nine on this list you know I Tate Martell uh, you know whenever he starts playing quarterback finally I'll I'll be intrigued to see how he does but uh, I remember whenever Texas A&M was recruiting him I was in college station when that happened and then he decommitted to like he he decommitted he committed and like decommitted to like three different schools he's one of those guys in high school where he just could not make up his mind and then the number five guy is interesting to me kind of because of Josh Heupel but Brandon Wimbush is going to UCF Grant Brandon uh, Wimbush and Kelly Bryant might as well be the same player um, they <laughs> uh, can't complete Kelly Bryant's, passes. A, uh, Kelly Bryant's a lot more accurate statistically than yeah than probably um yeah just looking you know, at his numbers Wimbush going to UCF, I, I don't think is a terrible fit. Um, that's that's a team anyway that's going to lean on their run game, which is certainly Brandon Wimbush's strength. Um, and you know how many games are there going to be where they're going to rely on his right arm to win them games? Not not a lot. So I, I think this is and and if they if they are thinking that McKenzie Milton is going to be be able to come back for his last year, um, this is probably a good bridge to McKenzie Milton. 
All right, so that's that's it. There's not a whole lot. To, we've we've gone pretty pretty long on this. I guess, I mean, just in case you have any comments, Shane Bouchelle's on this list. Apparently, he hasn't transferred anywhere. He's in the portal. Uh, Shane Bouchelle, I've seen him play here and there. You know, but he was playing you know back before I was really paying that close attention to OU football before I moved back to Oklahoma. I, I he's to, he's not that good of a player, is he? I, I mean, Sam Ellinger took his job and. I don't remember him ever really doing a whole lot, so I don't know if you have any thoughts on Bouchel, but I've uh, <clears throat> oh, sorry. Are you you're dying? Edit- Are you dead? I'm dying. Yeah, you're gonna have to edit out some of this. Okay, Grant. Holy crap! <clears throat> <clears throat> okay, whoo. He's or or not, whatever. You don't have to edit it out. What the <laughs> hell is happening? It's is it is the is the cold is the cold air seeping into your apartment? I have water. <laughs> is are are you freezing uh. to death? No, I think I just need to, I need to get some words out with. Uh, mm-hmm. Okay, here we go. What, is, what were is we that talking what happen- about? Is, is that what happens when I bring up Shane Bouchelle? You almost die. <laughs> you almost choke exactly. to death. Actually, yeah, you shouldn't edit this out. Let let this go. Just let it go. We'll do it live. Um, <sighs> no, Shane Bouchelle is is basically is the definition of like replacement level quarterback in college football. You know, you guys know the 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 war stat in baseball wins above replacement. Yeah. Bouchelle is is literally the replacement level of college football. I don't think I, I don't think there's a lot of people who would disagree with that. Okay. Well, yeah, I don't have any thoughts on him. I it, well, I guess I did give thoughts a moment ago. It, they're not very smart thoughts because again, I haven't seen him play a whole lot. And when I have seen him play, he hasn't really impressed me a whole lot. And I know that Sam Ellinger obviously took over for him and and has kind of run away with that position. Bouchelle so. always threw a decent deep ball. Whenever he had success, it was usually that. All right, well, I mean that's that's not a bad attribute to have, that's for sure. Uh, and then the, there's one other guy in this list. You know what? Forget. It. I don't even want to bring it up because who cares? Uh, all right, let's let's move on just real quick. I, Wait, I don't no, know who's the have... other guy? Who who do you not uh, care about? This is fun. We we like college football. Let's talk about it. Well, let's Josh Jackson from Virginia Tech, another oh yeah, another right. guy. I don't care who about is that not going. Yeah, I mean he. I just think back to week one when Vatek beat Florida State, and you and I were both on Vatek in that game because we were both betting against FSU and Willie Taggart. And it was like, okay, Vatek, you know, Josh Jackson looked okay. And, like, Vatek might be a pretty solid team. And then, like, a, a week or two later, they lose to Old Dominion, and he realized that Vatek actually was terrible. So it, Josh Jackson's not a very good player. He, Gosh, he incredibly inaccurate. Uh, I guess he got injured this year. I guess he got – oh, he got injured against Old Dominion. Okay, well. Lee, what about, oh. what, what about Hunter Johnson going from Clemson to Northwestern? Not, not a lot of people know who Hunter Johnson is. Um, I don't, but he was, yeah, well, yeah, he, he was the number one pocket passer in the country coming out of high school. Um, yep. And so he was a, he was a true freshman the year that Kelly Bryant started primarily for Clemson. Um, and as soon as they brought on Trevor Lawrence, he was basically gone because he knew that he had no chance of really ever playing there. So, uh, he is transferring to Northwestern and that'll be kind of interesting. I think, I mean, taking over for Clayton Thorson. I would say Northwestern, who is coming off, you know, a Big Ten West division championship, they have a much more realistic chance of winning their division than, say, Missouri does with Kelly Bryant. So, I mean, I, I would even argue that this Hunter Johnson going to Northwestern is is a bigger deal than Kelly Bryant at Mizzou. Okay. Well, that's all I have on this one. We talked about the transfer quarterbacks for probably 30 to 40 minutes, which is pretty nice. Uh, I didn't anticipate that happening, and mostly we talked about the NFL and how it seems like some evaluators are not too good at their jobs. The NFL talk- is awesome, though. I, it's it's great. 
I don't know if you have any thoughts. Did you read this Austin Kendall story? Yeah, I did. See, and actually, okay, so my thoughts are pretty, are, you know, are pretty tame. I don't, I didn't think it was particularly newsworthy, to be honest with you. I, I saw some people on Twitter um, saying that this was proof that the Kindles were salty or something like that. If that's the case, that didn't come, that didn't come through in the article to me whatsoever. No, not at all. Who's yeah, that's a bad take. It's there's no it doesn't seem like there's any ill will at all in this article. If you, yeah, seems- if you haven't read it yet, it's Metro News, the voice of West Virginia. It's an article by Alex Hickey. And essentially it's just Austin Kendall's dad explaining to this reporter their side of the story. And I think the newsworthiness of this to me is you get because we had Lincoln Riley's side of the story at the press conference a week ago. And now we essentially we're getting Austin Kendall's side of the story, and honestly, both accounts they all they all kind of match. They add up to me. I mean, there's there's no parts of these both sides that are kind of um, in conflict, in my opinion. It sounds like kind of what we I don't know maybe if you thought the same way, but it, basically everything I kind of thought happened after I took a step back and thought more about it and took the emotion out of it. Everything that I kind of figured happened did happen. It seemed like in this whole situation. And if there ever was any sort of bad blood, we'll never know. And it must not have been that bad because nobody felt like they needed to air their grievances to the media, which for 2019, I like deserves a round of applause. <laughs> the only thing that I will say, I, when people say the only thing I'll say, that's like that's a cliche. I shouldn't have said I shouldn't have started that way. Uh, I will say this: if you're reading the article I'm looking at right now, there's a part of the article where it says breaking free and it says on January 16th, I'm reading from the article, Austin still didn't know where he would attend graduate school, but he did know it wouldn't be at Oklahoma. That morning, he went to the Sooners facility to say his farewells. This is the important paragraph here. This next one that follows within hours news leaked that Oklahoma was blocking his transfer within the big 12. And then it goes on to a quote. It says, this is from Austin Kendall's dad. It says, quote, it felt like a high stakes poker game with one million dollars on the line. Who was going to fold? I know what I was feeling. I can't imagine what Austin was going through. A couple of schools are like, you have to enroll by today. And I think they were bluffing, quite frankly, end quote. The reason I wanted to read that to you is this is the only part of the article that's kind of vague. Because it just says, within hours, news leaked that Oklahoma was blocking his transfer. Now, the question is, who leaked the news? And reading between the lines, Grant, I, it's got, it's got to be either their family or West Virginia people. I mean, that's the only thing that would make sense. And that, this article kind of, kind of, kind of uh, doesn't really get into who leaked the story. Which, I mean, why would they? I mean, that's, yeah, it's, not, it's not to their advantage to say, yeah, we told... The, the press that Oklahoma wasn't letting us go to West Virginia without us sitting out a year. Um, and so I, in my, I guess just reading between the lines, that's kind of the way I infer that's the way I interpret this screen. I don't know if that's that little paragraph stood out to you as well. Yep. Yeah. I, I thought that was the, like I said, if, if, if it was a newsworthy article, that was the one part that was, and using our, our, our detective um, skills that, we talked about a couple weeks ago reading articles like this. Uh, yes, I think that's we can probably safely say that the leak came from from one of those two sources, either the Kendall family or West Virginia. And and I don't have any inside information, more of just a feeling. I sort of have a feeling it probably came from West Virginia. 
And also, too, even in this article, it says, another paragraph, it says, again, reading from the article, it says, Oklahoma held all the cards until social media pressure took hold. And then it goes into, it leads up to the point when Riley called Kindle, and it says Oklahoma caved to what Riley would later call the human element, which is exactly what Riley said. He he called it the human element. So it even acknowledges that the social media pressure was a was probably the reason why Lincoln Riley ended up doing what he did. And that would not have come unless the news was leaked to the press that Oklahoma was not wanting Kendall to to be eligible immediately at West Virginia. They weren't necessarily blocking Kendall from going to West Virginia. They were letting him go there if he wanted to. It's just they didn't want Kendall to be immediately eligible at West Virginia. What an appalling and immoral stance for the University of Oklahoma to take. So, yeah, I mean, just I disgusting. Still- I'm really happy that we took a step back. I, I still really enjoyed our last our last podcast, Grant. I thought you were really good. And I know there's some Sooners fans that aren't too happy about the way it went down. Um, I know it seems like most people were like, oh, let him go wherever he wants to go. Austin Hill's been a great guy, and, and, he, and he was. He did everything he was supposed to do. And, again, I wish him the best. I know there are some other Sooners fans that are, are kind of on the other side of like, well, he could be an advantage for West Virginia. This could potentially – help the Mountaineers maybe beat Oklahoma in 2019 and he very well might he very well might so and that goes back to what I was saying at the last podcast I'm I'm not so sure what the right decision was and that's why this was so difficult for Lincoln Riley and I understand now why he wrestled with it and the fact that he had to make this decision so quick in less than a week that's hard I mean that's really difficult because he obviously likes Austin Kendall he wants what's best for him but he also wants what's best for his entire team and so that's, I just wanted to bring up this story again because, again, it's, it's the other side of the story, and it seems like everything is kind of checking out and everything, all the puzzle pieces are fitting together nicely. And if I had to guess, I'd say both sides, Austin Kendall's, Austin Kendall's family and Lincoln Riley in Oklahoma, I think everyone's on good terms. It's just I'm sure Kendall's family and stuff was annoyed. They were disappointed that they, they had to go through that a little bit. But at the same time, I'd like to think that their family understands where Riley was coming from too. I don't know if they do, but I'd like to think that they do. Yeah, I mean, we don't know, but I, yeah, I, I think the whole thing was totally overblown. Um, just the, frankly, the idiots talking about how it was immoral and appalling. It's just, think harder is all I have to say to that. Use your brain. <laughs> Before we talk about which players we're excited to see play in Alex Grinch's system, I'd like to thank all of you for listening and supporting the show. Your support's even more appreciated this time of the year when the Sooners aren't playing a game every single week. So if you've got Oklahoma friends and Oklahoma family members who have not checked out the podcast yet, please let them know. Spread the word. Hopefully we can grab some new listeners here in the offseason and continue growing that audience heading into 2019. And as always, I'd like to encourage you all to have not already done so. Please rate and or review the show on iTunes just Lift up your phone, select the five-star rating, and uh, there's also an icon down there that allows you to click and then write a review if you want. And uh, I said it earlier in the show, but I'll say it again. For those on social media, you can like the show on Facebook. It's a West of Everest page. We went uh, on Facebook Live earlier today, so we're going to maybe start back up doing Facebook Lives before the shows. And also on Facebook, on Facebook, you can stay up to date with the show. You can follow Grant on Twitter. He's at GrantBenson25. I am at Lee Benson News 9 Follow along on those social media platforms and 
just a reminder again, I teased it a little bit ago, but I am planning on releasing a series of videos on Twitter and on Facebook here in the coming weeks. And the only information I'll give you for now is that the videos will have to do with Kyler Murray. All right, let's go to Oklahoma's defensive line. Calvin Thibodeau has gotten rave reviews during his time in Norman as the defensive line coach, and he, he's done so well that Alex Grinch kept him on after the coaching change. You know, I've said on this show multiple times that I believe the defensive line group played the best of any group on the Oklahoma defense in 2018. And yeah, I know the bar wasn't very high because the Sooners defense, frankly, wasn't very good in 2018. But I think the defensive line deserves credit for being somewhat solid against the run after Mike Stoops was fired. So if the defensive line was serviceable, we'll say serviceable a season ago, that means the D-line will be pretty good with Grinch coming in, right? Well, Hopefully, hopefully that's the case. I think Alex Grinch's philosophy of being aggressive, playing with your hair on fire, playing fast, taking the ball away, everything like that sounds like it should help the Sooners defensive linemen as well. But here's the thing. Which Oklahoma D lineman will be helped the most by the coaching change? That's where we come in. Grant and I, we both think there's one obvious player who could make a massive jump in 2019 and Let's not beat around the bush. Let's start with him. That n uh, number one guy on the defensive line is Neville Gallimore. So, Grant, I'm going to pitch it over to you first. Why do you think Neville Gallimore is the prominent defensive line player that you are eager to see play in this new Alex Grinch ran system? Well, what have we heard about Neville Gallimore for, you know, the four years he's been in Norman now? It's just all about how much of a freak athlete he is and how much potential he has. And now he's going to be in a defensive scheme that theoretically sort of unleashes him a little bit. He's no longer going to be tasked with catching blocks um, and just eating up guys. Um, it's going to be all about shooting gaps and using his physical uh, physical abilities to leverage some sort of or to leverage the defense or to the offensive lineman. Um, hopefully to shoot gaps, get into the backfield. Um, this is a guy who, from everything we've heard, is a physical workout freak. I remember uh, before this past season, Bruce Feldman posted his annual like freaks list. He does like I think he does a list of like ten guys who are the biggest freaks in the country, and Gallimore came in second on that list. He's a three hundred and thirty pound guy who can do just like incredible workouts and whatnot. So this is the guy. I mean, this is a guy who presumably this is a system that fits him and his skill set perfectly, and. It seems like we've been waiting forever now for Neville Gallimore to be that difference maker in the middle of the defensive line. And I think at times this past season he he did show some, you know, some signs of maybe that happening. But theoretically, this is the exact place um, where he could thrive. And I'm excited to see it because they absolutely need that thumper in the middle of the defense, uh, especially on the defensive line because um, just you know watch OU against these these SEC teams the last two years in the playoff. And where are they where are they at the biggest disadvantage? And it's it's obviously those bodies on the defensive line. Those other mm -hmm. programs just have completely different guys on the defensive line than OU does. And Neville Gallimore, though, is a guy that could play for those SEC teams. I mean, he's 6'2", 330, incredibly athletic. Like you mentioned, Bruce Feldman's made the Bruce Feldman freak list. Yeah, I think he was the best defensive player on Oklahoma in 2018. I think I think he was the best defensive player. And I I know I beat it to death, but there was no better example of how important he was to the defense than the Kansas game. He missed the Kansas game, and Puka Williams in Kansas put up like a damn near 1,000 yards, it seemed like, and 40 points. And they ran the ball down Oklahoma's throat, and I think it's because Gallimore wasn't in there to control the run and help control the run game. 
so here's here's why I I'm excited. Uh, all the reasons that you mentioned, but let's think back to Alex Grinch's last time as a defensive coordinator, 2015 to 2017 at Washington State. Alex Grinch, he's a he's a safeties guy. He's a secondary guy, but obviously he has a defensive scheme that he likes and he thinks that that works and he he's all in on it. So let's look at what his defensive lineman did in 2017, which was the best year Grinch had at Washington State when the defense was very good. A top was it a top 20 defense, a top 25 defense, something like that. I mean, it was it was really good. It was the top be- 20 in, in yards per play, I think. OK. OK. So, yeah, I mean. The best interior lineman on Wazoo that season was a guy by the name of Hercules Mata'afa. And this is a guy who was playing defensive tackle. That was what he was listed as as in the depth chart. But he's incredibly undersized. 6'2", 252. He's he's basically the size of like a a really nicely put together linebacker, like a really nice put together linebacker. Maybe, you know, basically maybe a defensive end in the Big 12. You know, that's that's the size of that guy. But he was their interior lineman and he was the best player maybe on their defense. Probably. Yeah, probably on their defense. He's an I mean, All-American. He, he was. Yeah, he's a consensus All-American. He's great. Ten and a half sacks, 22 and a half tackles for loss. And that's an incredible number. Compare that to Gallimore. In 2018, Neville had five tackles for loss. Five. Now, here's the thing about Mata Afa. When you watch his tape, when I when I watched a little bit of him, you could see that he caused a lot of havoc just because of how incredibly fast he was coming off the line of scrimmage. Dude was just quick. And it looked like Washington State's defensive line philosophy of moving and stemming up front constantly before the snap helped Mata Afa gain an edge on offensive linemen from time to time because those offensive linemen wouldn't know which gap that Mata Afa was going to be rushing into until the very last second. And then you you match that with how quick he was and his skill. And, I mean, it made sense why he was in the backfield so much. Now, let's transition that into Neville Gallimore. He's a player who we have seen over the last couple of years, thinking back more recently to 2018, he flashes from time to time, swimming through some guards and some centers up front in the interior line, getting into the backfield relatively quickly, making some tackles for loss, making some hits on the quarterback or the running back. And, you know, like you said, Grant, we've heard for years about his freakish athletic ability, and we have seen it here and there in game action, just not really consistently from game to game. The thing is now that's intriguing is that you've got Gallimore, who has something like 80 pounds on a guy like Mata Afa. I mean, Gallimore's size is, is way bigger than Mata Afa. And you got Gallimore, who's also, he's quick. He's, he's nimble. He's not big and fat and slow. He can get around. He's, he's somewhat quick and, and, and fast. So you have Mata Afa, maybe not as quick as that guy, but you have a guy that's pretty quick, but also has the power and the size of Gallimore. I think it's fair to assume that this defensive scheme, the simplicity of it and the one-gap scheme of him just knowing, he knows which gap he'll be hitting and say, hey, Neville, you're responsible for this gap. Make a play, get there. I think that he's got the potential to be one of the the best players again on defense and a special player in his last year at Oklahoma. I I think he's definitely the number one guy on defense, as you and I have pointed out. And they need him. On on, on the defensive line, the D-line. Yeah, on the D line, and they, they, yeah, I, I think they they absolutely need that from him. Um, 
he's certainly a guy that I think Alex Grinch is probably happy that he has as as an anchor there in his first year at OU. He Gallimore is a guy that I think you can build a defensive line around if if you're being clever with it. And so um, we'll see if it turns yeah. out that way. I'm I, I I said on the last podcast I am in I'm in hardcore wait and see mode with this defense until next year. I'm not going to make any sweeping proclamations about them. We've just burned. We've been burned way too many times about it. It's still, mm-hmm. still a lot of the same guys, you know, who have been getting shredded the last couple years. So, mm-hmm. um, but you know, this is something that we can point towards. Neville Gallimore was a was a really good player for OU this year, um, operating in a scheme that I don't think really highlights his his talents. And I think this one, in all likelihood, will. So I, I'm really excited to see this. I'm excited to see aggressive defensive line play. You know, for the first time in damn near a decade. Uh, I, that's that's it's just going to be so nice to see, and it's a really nice change of pace. Just watching back Washington State's game in 2017 against Boise State, and that was a game when Washington State allowed a lot of points, went to overtime, allowed something like 40 points. And I, I didn't watch the whole thing; I watched the first half. Uh, just the defensive linemen, and not just the D linemen, everybody, everybody just looked like they were they were they were operating so fast, and they had a purpose, and you can see why the nickname Speed D was a thing at Washington State. And I guess Roy Manning, the new OU cornerbacks coach, kind of coined that phrase at Washington State and Pullman. And it's it's a speed-based defense, and it, it really showed on film in 2017. The next player that I want to talk about, and this is, uh, I mentioned at the very top of the show that we had some new news on, and I didn't know this until one of our Facebook Live viewers, Tracy, alerted me of this. Apparently, there's rumors that Michael Thompson, a guy who tore his ACL last summer, didn't play at all, was a true freshman, so basically, you know, medical redshirt year, whatever. Apparently, there's rumors that Michael Thompson is going to move to offense and play offensive line. And again, I these are I don't I haven't seen these reports. This is what I've been hearing. I know that I guess some message boards and some of the, the insider websites. Full disclosure: I don't really read message boards. I used to when I was in college and things like that. Just not anymore. I, I, I guess I just I'm not that interested in that. So, I've been here. You and you kind of know a little bit more about this too. But I, I'm curious to see where this goes if that's true. Because I was actually going to talk a lot about Michael Thompson about being really excited to see him play in this defense because he's another big time, like four star, six five, three thirty five. It could be a a guy that could really complement a guy like Neville Gallimore, maybe in the interior, but. Uh, maybe he's not even going to be playing defense now. So I'm not sure how much we could even talk about this because we don't we don't know because who knows we don't have anything official. But uh, I'll let you, I'll stop talking and let you mention anything on Michael Thompson. I, I I had a whole thing on him defensively, but now I'm not even going to say it because it, maybe it doesn't matter. Well, I mean, it, it makes sense if if Michael Thompson was recruited to be an anchor in the middle of that defensive line and just kind of take on blocks and be your prototypical nose tackle. Uh, this makes sense because that's. You know, obviously there is a nose tackle in Alex Grinch's defense, but it's it's the purpose of it is not to not to chew up blocks. The purpose of it is to get in the freaking backfield and get the football. Um, if this if this move is true, which um, we don't know one way or the other, Michael Thompson certainly has the size that OU is looking for on the offensive line. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so just it also just what sort of confuses me as well. One of the things that OU covets, especially Bill Biedenboe covets on the offensive line, is is elite athleticism for for a big guy. And I don't think they would move Michael Thompson there if they didn't think he possessed that. Um, to me, that begs the question: What's wrong with having an elite athlete 
an elite 6'5", 335-pound athlete on your defensive line, um, which is pretty much what they've been lacking the last decade. Um, I would I would question the wisdom in that. But at the same time, like I, like I told you before we came on, I haven't seen Michael Thompson play a single down of college football. I'm not right. going to go and watch high school tape and watch him thoroughly dominate kids who are 150 pounds lighter than he is. Um, it's just it's just not going to do any good. So um, more news will come out from this, you know, when spring ball starts in a couple months or, or in a month and a half or so. Until then, um, it's it's certainly you know it, it's a head scratcher for me. But at the same time, it, it's telling me they they must not think or they must not be incredibly worried about their depth on the defensive line if if they're going to make a move like this. And it is you know it's it certainly could be argued at this point that they're they are a little thin on the offensive line. All right, so yeah, let's just that's all we could say on that one until we find out more information on that. So that'll be a, a, a spring storyline certainly to follow. It, what who's the next player? Because that was my next guy was Thompson, and you know we don't have a lot to say about him now because of these potential changes for you, Grant. Did you have a next player that you were intrigued by that you want to see in the new system? Yeah, and you know you guys have. I mean, my. Um, my thoughts on on Kenneth Mann on this podcast have been have been litigated plenty of times, um, but having that been said, I mean Kenneth Mann for the player that he is, this is this is kind of the perfect defensive scheme for him. Um, he's not a guy who is who is physically going to wow you, which is why I was never a huge fan of him just kind of eating blocks like he always did. Um, when Kenneth Mann has made plays, it has been shooting gaps and and just kind of being in the right position there. And I'm I'm curious to see how well he will do in this defense. Not just not because I and you guys know I, I don't think he's particularly a talented player at all. Um, but at the same time, he he does have a little bit of athleticism to him, and um, we'll see if 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 just the new one gap scheme can sort of unleash him a little bit. Um, as we saw, I, he just I and I, I know you disagree with me, but he he was just a total non-factor on the defense this year. Yeah, Kenneth Mann was one of the next guys I want to talk about too, and I was kind of throwing him and Ronnie Perkins together because you know once Ruffin McNeil came in and Mike Soups was fired, and OU was basically running more of a four-three. Mann and Perkins were the two four-three defensive ends, and now under Grinch's you know three-four scheme, I, I Perkins is more talented than Kenneth Mann, so just based on that, I, I was thinking okay, Perkins will be the defensive end. I mean, and maybe him and Mann will kind of go back and forth and they'll find a different spot for a man I don't know so it's kind of difficult for me to determine right now what kind of impact this new scheme will have on these guys uh there, there was a lot more information on the interior guy that Mata Afa guy looking at the defensive ends at Washington State under Grinch it seemed like guys that they didn't necessarily get a bunch of tackles for loss or sacks they were kind of just there uh, the just for instance, I mean, the the starting defensive end at Washington State in 2017 listed at 6'3", 237. Both Perkins and Mann are at least 15 to 20 pounds heavier than that guy. You know, I don't know if that changes anything. I just wanted to point that out. It seemed like he was just more of a guy that would try to do his job, be quick, but didn't get that many tackles and it was almost like the edge linebackers the rush linebackers whatever they called them in that system would make more of those plays and the inside interior defensive linemen so outside of 
Gallimore and and really the interior lineman. It's it's a huge question mark. I think it's a wait and see approach for the rest of these guys. It, in my opinion, and uh, that now that's all I have really on Man and Perkins. I don't. I mean, I know you were talk, talking about. Go ahead. I don't know, do, do you want to talk about the Jack position? Uh, because I mean, I think that's it's it's basically a glorified defensive end anyway. So sure. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna. We I, we can maybe you know maybe that'll kind of. Because we're going to do linebackers next week. Because I mean, Jack is a linebacker position. But I mean, if you want to, if you got some thoughts now on the Jack, because yeah, I mean, it's well, because it's I think everybody is excited to see. I mean, if of course health withstanding, and we hope he he gets healthy. But I, I mean, every, everyone wants to see Jalen Redmond out there. Um, yeah, and I think he's the you know with the with the health issues aside, I, I think he's he's the guy you can probably pencil in right now who's going to be your starting Jack next year. Um, and I, I'm just excited to see it. Jalen Redmond's a guy who, I mean, what, he, he only played a handful of snaps this past year, but when he was out there, you noticed him. He made some plays. Um, he's a guy who is certainly physically ready to be out there and um, a guy who, you know, came very highly regarded from from, uh, from Midwest City High School. So, you know, I, I just, uh, who else? Uh, Mark Jackson Jr. Lee as well as someone I, I could see maybe making some sort of impact at the Jack position with Grinch there. Um, one thing we can't say about Mark Jackson is that, you know, he, or one thing we can say about him is that, man, he, when he was out there, he left it all, or left it all out on the field. That guy played hard. Um, yeah. And which is, which has always been, or, you know, ever since Grinch has been here for the last few weeks, uh, that, that theme has been, has been repeated uh, continuously. Um, so I think Mark Jackson Jr. is probably putting himself in good position to get some good minutes um, next year as well. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of guys I'm interested in. They, they, they have a lot of bodies up front. Um, some of them I'm in this new scheme. I'm not sure if there's, you know, a role for them. Michael Thompson, we're already seeing him maybe being moved to the offensive line. There's other guys who are still there, like, like Marquez Overton, who is going to be a redshirt senior next year. Um, how does he fit into this? Um, there's other, uh, younger guys, uh, Zach McKinney is going to be a redshirt sophomore. He's from, you know, he's a he's a bigger guy, 6'3", 306. Guy we haven't heard anything about. He's listed as a defensive tackle. What does he do? Uh, Jordan Kelly, a guy from Union High School who's going to be a redshirt freshman next year. He's kind of more of your prototypical nose tackle as well. What You know, where does he fit in? Where does Dylan Famatu fit in? Um, who is more of your, your kind of bowling ball, nose tackle, prototypical size? Um, I'm interested. I'm really interested to see where they're going to go with this because um, until they can actually sort of recruit specifically to Alex Grinch's vision, um, they might have to sort of piecemeal some stuff together for 2019, especially on the defensive line. A couple other guys that you didn't mention there. You're going through a lot of defensive linemen. Isaiah Thomas, another guy. I mean, oh, defensive thank you. End. Yeah. He's the big, tall, lanky guy, 6'5", 255. And I know, I mean, I, I think length and, I mean, the 3'4", on the edges of the three four, think back to Georgia and the Rose Bowl. I mean, their their edge guys, their edge linebackers were tall, you know, six six, six seven, you know, got that length, get their hands up, knock balls away, get that get your arms out in front of you. I mean, that's important in this kind of defense. So, I mean, Isaiah Thomas is a guy too. I mean, and also Tyree Slot. Uh Tyree Slot is a is a player that I thought was gonna have a lot more of a role this past year. I can't I don't know if you mentioned him. But he's more of that interior. He's a listed as defensive end, but I mean six two three zero one, and who knows? I mean he could even get bigger than that after a full another season. So yeah, at that at mm-hmm. that size, I I would assume he he'll probably be a 
I, I would guess he might be at that three tech defensive tackle position next year. Well, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just looking back at Washington state, you know, the way they ran it. I mean, they had, you know, they had that Mata off guy as a, as their tackle, but then they had a guy, let's see, Daniel, Yuka, it looks like his name is ukulele. Dan, Daniel Uka Uku Ale, I'm sure he must be. Uh, I I can't pronounce his name. It looks like he's from. Oh, he's the American Samoan. He's 305. So I mean, even though that, so they had you know, yeah, the big Mata beefy Afa guy was, inside. Yeah, Mata Afa was the three tech defensive tackle, and then the the other guy was the nose tackle. So yeah. um, and you know, Gallimore is going to be the nose tackle in in all likelihood here, uh, not the three tech guy. But all I mean that could change. Um, you know, we'll. We'll see. I, I don't know. Like, yeah, like we'll, I said, I, I really do think that this, with the guys on the roster right now, you're probably not going to be able to pin a position on them right now. I, I really do think they're ju- they're going to have to. Uh, some guys are going to have to learn some new responsibilities and some new positions, especially on the defensive line. And I don't know. Once once spring ball comes around, that's going to be really interesting to see the direction they go there, um, because they do. I mean, they got a lot of bodies up there, and just not not incredibly obvious directions to take those bodies. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what they decide. And I'm just, I, I'm mostly just interested to see because it's not like they, it's not like they don't have options. They most certainly do. Let's see. Uh, anything else you want to add on this segment? Like, I don't know. The defensive line's tough. I just, there's not a whole, I think we're going to have a lot more f- things to talk about probably linebacker wise and definitely secondary wise. I don't know about, I mean, changing positions. I, who knows? I, I think a lot of these guys, you know, the fact that Mata Afa was a guy built like a defensive end but playing inside, I mean, he was just a – maybe he was just an incredible talent for Washington State and Grinch had him inside there like that because he could do it. I don't know if he can anticipate some smaller guys all of a sudden playing inside just because they're they're better for this defense. I Who knows? I you know. And, yeah, and, I, and I'm also looking here. Or outside. The recru- yeah, I'm looking here through the recruiting class as well. Uh, there's not really a lot of guys that stand out to me as as guys who are probably going to be instant impact. Leron Stokes, the JUCO defensive end, is probably the most likely uh, just to get playing time right out of the gate. Uh, but other than that, you know, there's uh, Marcus Stripling, um, Marcus Hicks, Joseph Wete from Washington D.C., Derek Green from North Carolina, and Corey Roberson from Texas. Yeah, I don't. The, a lot of those guys are are, are perhaps kind of. Um, projects and there you know also at, at jack too is probably going to be a position that that david igwebu plays that's a guy who um you know i i don't dip my foot into recruiting a lot but that's a guy when i watch him that that's a guy i get really excited for that that's an elite elite athlete right now who just didn't really have a position in high school so i'm excited to see what what this staff what this new staff can do with him um but you know other than that like i said still a lot of scholarship players right now on the defensive line and a lot of different directions they can go. Really interested to see what that first sort of starting combination is going to be on August 31st. That Ogwebu guy, he was a, a recent commit, correct? I think he committed like a couple yeah, weeks like ago. Yeah, like a week or so ago. A week or two yeah. ago, yeah. And we had that in our show and at News 9. I know Dean was – he had that information. And I said, oh, okay, all right. Um, all right, well, if you've got uh, – if you've got any thoughts on defensive line play and Alex Rinch's defense, you know, you can let us know. Let us know on Twitter, on Facebook. Next week, we're going to go over the linebackers. And then the week after that, we'll uh, get into the secondary players. And then at the end of it all, Grant and I will rank the players who we believe will benefit the most from this defensive change. And the way that rankings will go is basically 
when we get to number one, it'll be, okay, this is the number one guy we think will benefit the most from the new coaches coming in. And then, you know, what I, I don't know if we're going to do top five, top 10, whatever, whatever makes sense. We'll figure it out. Uh, and we'll go from there just because this is the off season and, you know, people love rankings. And if you have your own rankings, let us know. It'll be fun. So stay tuned to West of Everest for all of those, all those segments coming up in, uh, in February. And speaking of February, we got the Super Bowl coming up this Sunday because the month changes into or the month. The calendar switches over to February on Friday. And this is it. So this is the part. If you want to hear us talk about the Super Bowl, stick around for our Super Bowl thoughts. If not, no, uh, no hard feelings. We'll catch you next week. But uh, we got Patriots. We got Rams this Sunday. Last I checked, the Patriots are two and a half point favorite. And I... You know, it's early in the week. I can definitely see that number going to three at some point. The most shocking thing, Grant, we'll start with this. The most shocking thing about this matchup to me is that in a lot of books, the Rams opened as a one or maybe even a two-point favorite over the Patriots. Definitely a one-point favorite. I would have guessed um, definitely the Patriots would have opened up as favorites in this game. So we'll start with that. I, I Were you surprised that the Rams opened up as a slight favorite in this game whenever the matchup was set? Not really. On paper, they're better than the Patriots. So, um, huh, okay. Yeah, it doesn't really... At a reputation, that's kind of why I figured the Patriots would be favored. Yeah, have, having initially. that been said, if you if you think I'm picking Jared Goff against Tom Brady, you got just another thing coming. That's just not happening. Sorry. <laughs> so is that it? I mean, that's that's kind of the handicap yeah, of I'll Super Bowl be, you got? Yeah, I was, actually, I was actually chatting with some coworkers today, and I, I kind of mused to them that, like, yeah, I haven't really... Ever since you know uh, Championship Sunday, I really haven't thought much about the Super Bowl. Um, I think th- I think it's a great matchup. This is a really really good Super Bowl matchup. Um, just two really talented teams. Well, I mean, uh, talent. I mean, more so probably Los Angeles. Just a lot of um, just a lot of interesting players on that team. You got Aaron Donald and Dominican Sue. Not even to mention all the offensive guys they have, and it's Sean McVay's entertaining offense. And um, I don't know. I just I. I as the longer the Patriots thing goes on, Lee, and I don't know if I've mentioned this yet to you, just the more I become okay with it. Like I, I'm every single year, I just get closer and closer and closer to just um, to sort of just reveling in it. Like I, I've actually gotten to the point where I'm starting to appreciate the Patriots dynasty. Like that hmm. that game against the Chiefs um, last Sunday was was so awesome. I mean, just the amount of drama in that game was insane. Um, and, mm-hmm. and like, and the amount of luck that the Patriots have been exposed to over these last two decades is, is astronomical. Uh, luckiest team ever. But at the same time, you can't watch Tom Brady and not, and not be appreciative uh, of the way that he plays the game. So, you know, I just, he's so much fun to watch. He's so freaking good. Um, <laughs> to the point where it's, 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 it's just incredibly fun to watch. So, you know, I, and also Tom Brady is just, um, and if you guys don't know my background, I'm a, I'm a Colts fan. The Indianapolis Colts are maybe the very first sports team in general I ever really liked. Um, so I'm, I'm a huge Peyton Manning fan. My favorite athlete of all time is Peyton Manning. So I was ensconced in, you know, for a decade in the, the Peyton Manning, Tom Brady rivalry. I used to hate Tom Brady, just hate him with every fiber of my being. Um, and as I've gotten older and we've gotten further away from that era, I, I have I've completely let go from that stuff. I I am a 
a, a supporter of Tom Brady. I just really like him. I, I find him to be just a really good guy, a good family man, a good dad, um, and just uh, and the best quarterback I've ever seen. So um, I just and it's getting okay. to the point now with the Patriots where they're so dominant. Where and the same thing with out with it's the same thing with Alabama. And if they, if they go in and they win the Super Bowl or if they win the national championship, I just it's just like oh well whatever. It's just another regular season then. That's that's basically what it is. There's just no reason to get that upset about it. It's really good football. The fact that they've you know that they've sustained this greatness for this long is truly unbelievable. And so you know, um, I I still I still hate New England sports fans. They are the worst. They're terrible. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm it's it's pretty easy in my mind to separate it. And I just I just really like Brady and Gronk. Just really like those guys. <laughs> you throw Gronk in there too. The God, Gronk like is so awesome. Like you, you saw the. You saw that video, you know that 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 Brady posted on Instagram after the game, um, with him and Gronk like walking to the bus or whatever, and they're playing that song, the the we we ain't going nowhere song. I actually that, didn't see that. You didn't see that? Okay, yeah, I, and I heard about it. I don't. I just was too embarrassed for them to watch it. Yeah, it was just, but like it was one of those things where I mean, five five or ten years ago, if I would have seen that from Tom Brady. I would have blown a gasket. It would have pissed me off so much. But now I, I, I just couldn't help but just laugh and just think it was charming now. So hmm. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm straight up rooting for the Patriots. So, and I don't care who knows it. Really? Hmm. Yeah. I want them to win. Uh, for a guy, I mean, people that listen to this podcast, you, you could probably guess, I, you know, I obviously football, we both love football. You and I do. And uh, I, I just, I love watching high level quarterback play and, Tom Brady is the epitome of high-level quarterback play. One of the most ridiculous storylines of last week, and it's already been blown out of the water early on this week, thank God, was talking heads and debate shows saying, well, Tom Brady, is he going to retire after this game? Tom Brady's been talking about how he's going to play till he's 50 for years or whatever like that and of course he had that interview recently where he said no this is not gonna be my last game why would you think this is gonna be his last game that dude is gonna play if there's anybody in football that's ever gonna play till they're 50 it's gonna be tom brady well and i th- I, th- I think it's just because where he is right now even it is just it's slightly unprecedented the fact that he's been able to do it's just like I, I think in our minds we just we instantly assume that this is the time it's like, well, I mean, in our minds, relatively speaking, we feel like he should have retired probably five or six years ago if he's going by the usual calendar. So sure. I think it's just like, it's one of those things where it's like, geez, man, how long can you actually play? And it's just, and right, and I get that. It's because most athletes, especially football players and quarterbacks, yeah, they'll hang it up. I mean, look at Peyton Manning. All of a sudden, Peyton Manning just declined just like that, snap of the fingers. Yeah, I mean, I know he had the, it was his health. Right, right. Yeah. But the thing is with Tom Brady's... <laughs> Everyone knows that dude keeps himself in just incredible shape. I mean, nobody in the NFL keeps himself in better shape than Tom Brady. And we know about what his diet's like and how he it's. And here's the thing that that kind of came over me in the last couple of weeks, watching the playoffs play out the way they have and watch how dominant New England was against the Chargers. And then for the most part, they were dominant against the Chiefs in the second half. I mean, the Chiefs D Ford lines up on side. The Chiefs win that game. But for the most part, the Patriots outplayed the Chiefs in that game. I got to thinking, you know what? This is why Tom Brady's going to play for as long as he wants to because New England has figured out a way 
to like coast through the regular season, not really expend a lot of energy, a whole lot, still find a way to get a buy because I'm sorry, I know the narrative about how like, oh, it doesn't matter really that their division's terrible. Their division's terrible. It, that it helps. Them. It helps that they've been in the worst division in football yes. for two for two straight decades. And you you can give me the stats about how outside of the division, their their winning percentage is also very high. Blah blah blah. But you know what? That's probably because they're not challenged inside their own division. So they can give a little bit more for those outside division games throughout all these years. They, they, they can show up and beat the crap out of the Bills, Dolphins, and Jets for the most part because there's never been any good quarterback for those teams since basically Brady's been there. So that's definitely a factor. But the fact that – I guess the reason why I said the last few weeks in the playoffs, they've, they kind of coasted through and then the playoffs hit and it's like Tom Brady's like been preparing all year for this. Like, Okay, you know what? I got three games left. I got three games, boom, 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 I will prepare. And same with Belichick. And all of a sudden, the New England defense, who had been kind of sketchy, I mean, the New England defense was sketchy last year. And in the Super Bowl against the Eagles, it, it, got, it got torched, and the Eagles won the game. But you know what? New England's offense torched the Eagles' defense in the Super Bowl, and the Eagles had one of the best defenses in the NFL last year. And so you get to the playoffs this year, and all of a sudden, the New England defense was good. I mean, it just shut down the Chargers. For the first half, it shut down the Chiefs, some of the best offenses in the game. So they've, they've figured it out. They know how to just coast through the 16-game regular season and then turn it on in the playoffs. And that's why they've been able to make these Super Bowls all the time. It's, it's, it's incredible. It is absolutely incredible. But at the same time, I will say this. It's really boring talking about the Patriots, Grant. All week, all last week, whenever, you know, because I watch all those shows. I watch Coward's show. I like watching it. I, I got it on DVR. Every topic about the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I fast forward through. I don't care. It's boring to me. Yeah. They're two, I, I, they're two really good teams, and everything is just filler to me. I, Tom Brady's great. I share, I share your thoughts with Brady. Not the, I mean, I love Brady, Manning. I, I think Brady's better than Manning, but they're both amazing quarterbacks. I mean, they're two of the best quarterbacks ever. So like they're that, the, they're that the debate, two, they're the two best ever by a considerable sure. margin. There's no like, one even that really debate doesn't interest me because they're so like debating. Debating really awesome elite players is never interesting to me because they're they're all really good. Uh, so what's the point? I just I don't see the point of it. Uh, I, I will concede that this, from like a hype and storyline standpoint, this is probably I mean one of the least looked looked forward to Super Bowls in a long time. Probably like there's just maybe I feel yeah. like there's maybe there's just not a lot of buzz about it this year. One um, hometown team doesn't have any fans. <laughs> Nobody in LA really cares. Yeah, no one. Yeah, no one in LA cares. It's you know Brady and Belichick are there for the ninth time. Good lord, the ninth <laughs> time. Did you? See, yeah, I, I was. Um, it was just insane looking because they kept they kept flashing Brady's record like in conference championship games up there. It, and going into that game, he was he was eight and four all time in conference championship games. After it, he was nine and four. The entire time I was thinking, holy crap, the dude's literally played in 13 AFC championship games, and he's won nine of them. Yeah. That's absurd. Like, we, w- there's no possible way that is ever replicated again. There's, it's just not going to happen. And it's bizarre, too, that this kind of dynasty is happening at the same time Nick Saban and, the, and Alabama's dynasty is happening in college. And they're, and they're from the same freaking coaching tree, too. Yeah. One uh one debate that is kind of interesting to me that it, it gets boring after a little bit of time, but on the surface it's somewhat of a fun debate that 
I do want to see because it actually has a chance to happen in theory, but it, it probably won't because I again I think Brady's going to play for a long time. I the debate of is it more Belichick or is it more Brady? I would love to see. I know, I know Belichick coached the Browns and like ha, didn't have Brady and didn't do so well, but I mean that was that was early on in his career. I mean he's obviously learned a whole lot since then. But like I've always kind of I've gone back and forth on this. I mean I. Right now, I think it's more Brady because I think quarterback is so important. And Brady Brady has gotten – that's the other thing, too, why, why Brady will play longer. Brady has gotten better with age. I mean, he's not getting worse. And the whole – all that matters is his, is his arm is attached to his body. I mean, because his arm is not getting any I, – I know, like, during the season, there was a couple times where maybe he looked like he was a little older and his ball was fluttering in here. But in that game against the Chiefs, his arm sure looked strong to me. Throwing in that sub-freezing temperatures in Kansas City, he had no problem pushing the ball down the field, finding open windows, tight windows, and, and making good throws there. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, that debate of Belichick or Brady, who's more important, I think is kind of interesting. And I would like to see them split up and see what what they could do without one another. It's a multifaceted answer, I think. I think in the, in the 2010s, for the first three Super Bowls, it was mostly Belichick. Um, in this new era of football, Brady has his has his fingerprints all over this thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in, in in the 2010s. It's, it's, it's been it's been Tom Brady in the 2010s. He has completely embraced this new era of spread ISO football, and he is really freaking good at it. It's it's <laughs> this this new era Patriots is all Tom Brady. Yeah, no, that's a good assessment. That's a good assessment of it. Not all Tom Brady, because I'm sure Belichick. Pretty, I'm assuming Belichick probably put together the defensive game plan to limit the Chiefs. Which, uh, going off of that, Lee, um, have you ever seen a defense not be successful, like on third downs, when they stand everyone up at the line of scrimmage to bring pressure? That always works. Oh. Why don't teams do that more often? Well, yeah, I don't know. I for Literally for the works Patriots, 100% of the time. Well, I mean, for the Patriots, and you always hear pros and, and ex-players that are in the media to talk about how I was hearing Kurt Warner the other day talking about how when they played the Patriots I think I think the year that the Ram, uh, the, the Patriots beat the Rams in the Super Bowl that first one the first Tom Brady one I think Kurt Warner was saying that earlier in that season they had already they had played each other and so they had prepared for that game a certain way and so when they prepared for the Super Bowl they were preparing for all the same stuff they saw the first time against the Patriots and Kurt Warner was saying that they didn't see anything the same. It was a totally, completely different defensive game plan in the Super Bowl. And so it makes me think, obviously, Bill Belichick is comfortable changing up these defensive game plans in the playoffs when the games matter the most and throws things at these offenses that they just don't know what's coming. And then you got Brady, who just, I mean, if like, look at the Chargers game. I mean, what was everyone saying in the Chargers game? They were just, what were they doing? Basically playing cover three the entire time and not really changing anything. If, if Brady knows you're going to be in cover three, for the most part, you're you're done. I mean, you're absolutely done. If he knows what you're going to do, you're done. And then for the Chiefs, I think it was majority of the game, the reports were that they were in two-man most of the game. And watching the game, it looked like they were in two-man a lot, especially late in the game and overtime in the fourth quarter. And Brady was like, all right, well, let's run a lot of motion. I'll, I motion my guys. Oh, you follow them. I know that you're in man now. And I know they're going to be in a trail technique. And I'm gonna, I know where your safeties are going to be. And I'm just going to throw tight window bullet passes to your my guys, even though yeah. they're – it's just it's he knows exactly what if, if you're if you're not going to make any adjustments and you're going to do the same thing 75 to 80 percent of the time like it seemed like the Chargers did and the Chiefs did you're done you're dead I mean Brady's got you 
Those are those so, ISO spread ball new new school tactics where it really is about putting as much skill talent on the field, usually at the wide receiver position or the tight end position as you possibly can, and move people around so you can see where your individual one-on-one matchups are and then just go to your guys. That's how Clemson just beat the crap out of Alabama. Uh, that's that's the new school of uh, of football. And honestly, if OU would have figured that out against Alabama early on and would have gone to C.D. Lamb early in that game, it, it probably would have looked a whole, a whole hell of a lot better at the start of that game. So that's 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 where football is going. That's the new era. And that's why I love football so much, because you can learn so many things by watching the tape and you can exploit defenses and offenses by certain matchups and schemes and tendencies. But at the same time, too, you got to always remember what happened in that AFC title game whenever Brady and the Pats needed a play? Who would they who would they isolate? They'd isolate Gronk. They'd get Gronk out there and they, you know what? Our our best player is going to make a play on your defender. Like we're going to throw the ball up and Gronk's going to make a play because you know he's an elite Hall of Fame tight end. So I mean you still got to have that too. I mean you got to have that elite talent and you know who am I going to throw the ball to? I'm going to throw the ball to Julian Edelman. You know, an elite playoff especially playoff wide receiver and I trust that guy so I mean it's not like you, you can just do it with anybody but when you have Brady Brady can make a lot of people look really good okay uh, this is the last thing I'm actually going to say now on on the NFL but I I have to bring it up because we're we're just we're talking so much about Brady I, I need to bring up the the one throw that Mahomes made in that game that just that left my jaw completely just wide open um, it was later in the game it was the one completion to Tyreek Hill in the entire game and it was literally like a 50-yard corner route that Mahomes threw on a line and, and dropped it in the freaking bucket. Did, do you remember that throw that I'm talking about? Was that the one where he kind of... Oh, no, I'm thinking about the one he, he hit to um, their other good receiver where he basically threw it like 100 yards in the air, it seemed like, because the guy was like, you know what, screw it, I'm just going to run deep, and Mahomes has that kind of cannon. He can throw it over the top of the defense. No, I think uh, yeah, I, the, I vaguely remember the throw, but I I can't think of it or I can't vision it right in my head right now. Let's see. Well, basically, Tyreek Hill was being doubled. He had a guy. He had a guy. They were they were playing bracket coverage on him, and he basically ran a de facto corner route. Except he he originally I think ran like a go, and then he cut it off to the sideline like it would have been a corner route. That's how Patrick Mahomes threw it, and he threw it like sixty five yards in the air on a rope. And he, he fit it in between the two bracketing defensive backs. It was one of the best throws I've ever seen in my entire life. And the way that he just made it look so casual was absolutely insane. Patrick Mahomes yeah. absolutely terrifies me for the next 15 years <laughs> yeah. in the NFL. Yeah, he's a fun player. Uh, congratulations, Chiefs fans, for having uh, this guy. And uh, you mentioned him earlier, way earlier in the show, talk, when we were talking about NFL quarterbacks and evaluating quarterbacks. You know, I was I didn't watch a lot of Patrick Mahomes in college. I so I had no idea what he was. And so you're saying that you were surprised that he wasn't getting more talk in the NFL. So I, I'll take your word for it because I don't, I don't I don't have any opinions on Mahomes. I, all I knew was that he was a talented player, but Texas Tech didn't win a whole lot of games. So I was like, eh, maybe he's not that great because he can't even can't even win a lot of games. He can't over, overcome that. So, I mean, clearly he's he's awesome. I mean, he's got every single tool you need. Pat Mahomes, Pat Mahomes kind of made his his sort of college football debut Lee against Oklahoma in 2000 and f- in 2014. Um, this game was in Lubbock. Cody Thomas was actually the starting quarterback for OU. It was a game OU won because Samaje Pirine put him on uh, on his back. 
but Patrick Mahomes, Lee, basically made his college football debut in that game, and I just remember thinking, holy crap, this guy is a stud. So, hmm. um, just I mean, the first time he stepped on a college football field. I, that guy, he's just a special player. He's insane. All right, well, having said all of this, I'm actually trying to watch back that throw you're talking about now. I can find it. Oh, is this it right here? Oh, I found it. Hold on. Let me go it was back Tyreek Hill's it. only catch, I think. All right, yeah, I think I found it. He's throwing it on a... Uh, yeah. Just uh, a freaking you, missile. Yeah, I, I think he oversold it a little bit. But, yeah. Because he, no. he, was, he, was, he was pretty open. Uh, but, yeah, it's, his arm is incredible. I mean, it's, it's just... It is, it is he was, fantastic. He was literally only open for Patrick Mahomes. He's the only one who can make that throw. Like, it was... Tyreek Hill was so far away... Mahomes had to put that ball on a line with yeah. velocity to get it to him. Nobody else can make that throw. That's picked off if anyone else throws that because they can't. They can't put the velocity behind it. All right. Well, we spent the last what maybe twenty minutes talking about the the, the Super Bowl and basically talking about the Patriots. Having said all that, Grant, uh, let me just set this up because last year we have this actually on tape because we had the podcast last year for the first time and I can't even remember now. I mean, what ten years maybe maybe more. I correctly predicted the Super Bowl winner, and I think you did too. You you picked the Eagles last year too, I think, right? Yeah, I I, I always get it right. It's easy shooting. Fish oh, you in always a do. You always get it right. See, like I I hadn't picked the Super Bowl winner correctly. I think maybe my entire life. I and for the first time, I got it right. Last year, it broke an incredibly ridiculous streak, uh, which was incredibly impressive, uh, impressive, impressive streak of futility. So, I'm gonna try to make it two for two. I I, I want to. I want to even it out. I, I think I missed like 10 in a row before, maybe more. So I need to even it out. I need to, I need to get the next 10 straight correct. And Grant, I think the Rams are going to win. I think the Rams are going to win this game. And it's because of dumb reasons. Uh, nothing to do with football, really. Well, one, I, I think the Rams have a lot more talent than the Patriots. And I think the Rams have the talent to get to Tom Brady, kind of like the Eagles did last year a few times which changed the game. Here's the, 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 the non-scientific reason, though, why I kind of like the Rams in this game. And actually, too, hearing about Wade Phillips and how he's had success against Tom Brady somewhat in the past intrigues me as a defensive coordinator. But, uh, you know, you mentioned all the luck the Pats have had over all these years, and you're right. But what if all this luck, all this, these positive things that Tom Brady has all led up to where last year they lose to Nick Foles? And then a year later, they lose to Jared Goff. And then, who knows, maybe next year they'll lose to Mitchell Trubisky. <laughs> Shut up. Jeez. Um, no, so I, I see what you're that's saying. That's my totally but... unscientific way. And also, I think there's a little bit of value on the Rams right now if you're for betters because they opened up as the favorite, and now they, they're a two-and-a-half-point dog and maybe a three-point dog. Granted, that's not a whole lot of points. I mean, if you like the Rams, just take them on the money line. In my opinion, here's the but, here's the uh, deal. When, when when picking the Super Bowl, don't it, it should not be a completely scientific process. You should not be picking these teams on paper. The 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 better team on paper does not always win in the Super Bowl. That certainly wasn't the case last year. I thought. I think um, so. So I think the Eagles were better than the, the Pats last year. With Nick Foles at quarterback. Yeah, Foles was killing it. Yeah, yeah. It's easy to say that in retrospect, but did you think that Nick Foles was going to do that? I mean, Tom Brady like actually did have the best game ever for a quarterback. Like, in Super I mean, no, Bowl I didn't think Nick year. Foles would have that good of a game. But a big reason why I thought the Eagles would win is because I mean, Nick Foles was having that offense humming, 
and I thought he'd have success. And the Patriots' defense wasn't very good last year. Uh, and, I, and, I, and also the Eagles' defense was actually one of the best defenses in NFL a season ago. And they got, they got shredded a lot in the game, but they made some plays when it mattered. Just saying, the, uh, if, if you can never actually decide who you think is going to win, uh, go with the better story. They pretty much always win. Always. So, hmm. I mean, right. it's... Well, yeah, I know it's, it's on, not not a scientific sides. method, but it's a it's a pretty easy it's a pretty easy metric, and it, it just kind of always, or at least in, in in my system, it's kind of always worked out that way. So, um, in my in my estimation here, the the Patriots winning the Super Bowl is going to probably produce the best stories. Where it's, with the Rams win, it's probably going to be pretty anticlimactic. So, and either um, way, whoever wins the game, the losing team in the conference championship games will have. They're like, oh, groan of like, you know, if the Rams win, obviously the Saints fans will be like, oh, my gosh, that missed pass interference penalty. Oh, you know, and then if the Patriots win, Chiefs fans will have think back to D4 being offsides. Like, oh, my gosh, if only D4 again. So like either way, both losing fan bases of the championship, conference championship games will be disappointed either way. I think that's that's another way to look at it. But uh, yeah, it's I, I mean, I'm not particularly. Uh, confident in my pick of the rams this is uh, this is definitely a super bowl once again where i will be watching like everybody else because this is the last football game we have for damn near seven months and it's a spectacle it's america everybody watches for the most part and it's it's great for our culture i love the super bowl it's great every year i mean no matter who's playing in it it's fun it's a fun event and uh it's fun, but also very sad at the same time because it's the end of football. And the Patriots are likely to win in some sort of dramatic way like they have done in all of their Super Bowls. They never blow people out. Yeah, it's always... Nope, they have... Every game they've won has been by a singular score. Actually, until they beat... Uh, until they scored against the Falcons in overtime to win their last Super Bowl, uh, they had won every Super Bowl by literally three points, a field goal. Ooh, that reminds me, the... Uh... That's another one of those stories that was big, I guess, the last week is the whole overtime NFL debate, which is a total talk radio we kind of thing. But, you know, maybe if we're hurting for content in the next you know, month or so, maybe we could go back to that. Because if, if anybody here can talk about, about NFL, that for hours, we don't we yeah. can't do that now. Yeah, no, not, not right now. But maybe if we have a, a show where we don't have a lot of content, maybe we can. Uh, you know, those who are NFL fans as well, listen to this podcast, we can talk about that as well. So. Uh, all right, that's our show for this week. Next week is National Signing Day. Uh, obviously, the early signing period was in December. That was the big one. Um, you know, again, this is not a recruiting podcast, but Signing Day is a relevant event. So I suppose that we'll know at that point, you know, what Oklahoma's final class ranking will be. I know it's it's really high right now, which is nice. Normally, we do Tuesday records on this podcast in the off season, but you know, perhaps we'll have to wait until Wednesday or maybe Thursday to record next week to get the signing day info out there. So we'll we'll figure it out. Just stay tuned to the Facebook page and things like that for updates. Plus, uh, again, next week we'll talk about the linebackers playing in Alex Grinch's system. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.